Okay, so 2 Peter chapter 3, page 861. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Thanks, Suze. If you could keep your Bibles open to that passage, that would be great. Uh, Let me pray for us before we get stuck in. Let's pray. Uh, Dear God and Father, uh, we're here. We've got our Bibles in our laps. And you've just spoken to us. We pray, please, for the next 20 or so minutes as we come to wrestle with what you've said. Please help us to listen. Help us to listen, not just with our ears, but with our hearts, with the bits of us that that you need to change, that you need to build up, that you need to encourage. And please help us in all of this to want desperately to look that little bit more like Jesus as we walk out this door than when we walked in. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, 
but uh, it's Christmas. Had anyone noticed this? Can anyone have noticed this who has been to Woolworths since September? I don't know if you've uh, done the maths on this or not, but my calendar says that there are seven days to go until the big day. Of course, if I were 10, I wouldn't call it seven days, I'd call it seven sleeps. And I'm sure for those of you with small children or nephews or nieces or just general hangers-on in the big family of life, uh, you will know firsthand that incredible excitement about Christmas that is there for kids. You'll know and maybe hopefully even be able to remember yourself just how exciting Christmas is and just how long it seems for it to come. Even seven days now probably seems to young Sam like four months. You probably all remember it as you walked when you were a youngster into Harris Farm or wherever it was, you know, as an eight-year-old in September and saw the first tinsel and you remembered, oh yeah, that's right, Christmas. And from then on, each day was crossed off on the calendar. Day after aching day as you wondered what Santa would come and bring. Day after day, as you wondered, what would be for dinner? Well, no surprises, it's turkey. Day after day, as you wondered, this aching slowness as you came until the excitement built and built and built. And there was this fabulous day and there were stockings and there were pillow slips filled with presents and there was church and there was a tree and there was a turkey and there was family, an exhausted flop into bed. Fabulous. And then Boxing Day. And then 364 days until the next one. You say a year to a five-year-old, you might as well say a lifetime. Christmas seemed to take so achingly long to come to. How different it is for us now as we come to Christmas. I'm sure as you sit here with seven days to go, You're not thinking, oh my goodness, it seems like months until it will come. No, you're thinking exactly the opposite. You say, how did I get here? How did it become? I was just, I was in my bedroom this morning and it was January. And here I am now and it's December. How did that happen? Did I have a nap? Did I go and get it? And all of a sudden, 12 months had passed? How did we get here? Where has the year gone? That's what Christmas seems to mean to us now, doesn't it? It certainly does to me. Maybe at the risk of getting a little nostalgic, I can't get too nostalgic, I'm only 33. Maybe that's just part of getting older generally. As each year passes, the year is an increasingly small fraction of my total life. When I was five, a year was like a fifth of my existence. Whereas now it's a 34th. And you can do the maths for your own age, I won't be rude, and ask. You see, time just seems to go more and more quickly. And so as we come up to Christmas now, as we come into this last week, it's good for us to sit down and to take a breath and to sit back and to ask ourselves, where did that year go? To look back on the year that we've had. And also to look back on those events so many years ago in that stable in Bethlehem where Jesus was born and consider what God has done in this world through the birth of his precious son, Jesus. Well, that's all very well, Des. That sounds great. Great intro. 
Why on earth then did you pick this passage of Scripture? Because 2 Peter 3 seems to have precisely nothing to do with the first coming of Jesus. It seems to have nothing to do with Christmas at all. And yet, in some ways, it does profoundly. Because one of the things that's so easy to forget about Christmas is that that little kid grew up. He grew up to be the man, Jesus of Nazareth, who would go on to die and to rise again. And to say, astoundingly, that one day he would return again. That there would be, if you like, a second Christmas. A time when he would return not merely for 33 years, but would return permanently to his world. That he would return to reclaim the world that he made and that we took from him. See, when we look at Christmas, we must never isolate it as though it is just a story about a baby. No, Christmas is about the one person, the one God, who came 2,000 years ago and yet has promised that he will, in some way, come back again. We need to remember that. When we come to Christmas, we must not think, where did the year go? One more Christmas. Because there's a profound sense in which it's also one less Christmas. One less Christmas until Jesus comes back. One fewer Christmases until he arrives. It's a good reminder. It's a good way for us to, to measure time as though Christmas is the notches on a watch that helps us mark the passage of time as it goes. One fewer Christmases. What are we to make of that? Well, our brother, the Apostle Peter, and God who speaks through him is so terribly helpful in this. And I've just got two points, because to my mind, Peter's just got two points too. And the first is this. Remember. Simply this. Remember. You can see that people remembering things is very much on Peter's mind in the first two verses. Ha have a look with, with, it, uh, with me. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets of the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Reminders, recall, wholesome thinking. He wants us to remember something. And we know what he wants us to remember by what he goes on to say in verse 3. First of all, obviously important, you must understand that in the last day scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Where is this coming he promised? You see, there are obviously people uh, at the time that Peter's writing uh, who would doubt that Jesus would actually come back a second time. We know from the rest of the New Testament that many Christians in the time of Peter writing, about 60 AD, really did think Jesus might come back in their own lifetime. So much so that they were stopped working. They sort of took the shingle in from outside and set up the deck chairs and was just waiting for him to arrive. And you can understand then how as the years ticked by, the Christmases got ticked off on the calendar, Christians became nervous. 
and the scoffers pounced. Where is this coming, he promised? This great Messiah of yours who said he'd be back, well, we can't disprove that he wasn't raised from the dead, but he's not here yet, is he? Where is he? Is he really coming back at all? And you've got to say in some ways, they had something going for them, don't they? So look at the rest of verse 4. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Jesus coming back would be a cataclysm of unimaginable proportions, and yet that's just not how history works, say these people. No, everything just keeps on chugging along, doesn't it? You go to work, and you get married, and you have kids, and you do the gardening, and you make a cup of coffee, and another Christmas, and another Christmas, and another Christmas. Where did the year go? Where did the year go? Where did the year go? Exactly as all the years beforehand went, they say. And that is how we experience life, isn't it? How much harder for us to really think that Jesus might come back, not 30 years after his resurrection, but some 2,000. How much more profound these words for us, dare I say it, than for the original readers. It just seems increasingly unlikely, doesn't it? And I think that's what makes the doctrine of Jesus' second coming so easy to forget. It's just forgettable because life takes over. I look around and, yeah, these guys seem right. The world does just keep chugging along. My life just keeps chugging along. Nothing really does seem to change. Look at Peter's reply. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, they are strong words. And what do they mean? Well, first of all, look at what he said that these scoffers, their crucial error. He's telling people to remember something, which is exactly what they haven't done. They've forgotten. They've forgotten the past. More than that, they've deliberately forgotten. And they've deliberately forgotten that in the past, amazing things have happened. That by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And that by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. You see, Peter is doing exactly what he's reminded them to do in the first two verses, to go back to their Bibles. Specifically, he's told them to go back to Genesis 1, where God says that he made the world, and Genesis 7, where it says that God destroyed the world. Now, this is not the time to really get into a debate about whether those chapters of Genesis are meant to be literal or not. What he is trying to say is that life hasn't always just chugged along. God has done astonishing things. God has punished the world in the past and the same God the same God who by his word did these things in verse 7 by the same God by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men now God hasn't changed he's done amazing things in the past and if it's the same God there's nothing to stop him doing amazing things in the future 
And of course, it just seems so unlikely to us now, doesn't it? I sometimes wonder, if I deliberately forget this doctrine of the second coming, it just seems a bit ridiculous. If I were to ask to explain any number of doctrines to a non-Christian friend of mine, well, I'm sure I'd leap to many others than this. I'd happily defend the existence of God or the existence of Jesus in history, maybe even his resurrection or the possibility of miracles. But the second coming seems to be the stuff of madmen wearing rags with placards on a street corner. It seems to be the stuff of Hollywood blockbusters, possibly starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. It seems to be purely ridiculous. Maybe that's why I forget it. Maybe sometimes I even deliberately put it out of my mind. And yet that's precisely why I need to return to my Bible to realize, well, no. The God who has promised this in Jesus Christ has done astonishing things in the past. And that actually, when I think about it, when I break it down into its constituent parts, it's not that ridiculous. Because everyone in this world thinks this world will end somehow. No one thinks the world is going to keep going on forever. If nothing else, the, the sun will gradually expand and absorb us, however long that takes. Hopefully not before this Christmas. And if you believe, as it's not irrational to do, that God exists, and if you believe, that is, it's not irrational to do, that God wants to be involved in this world, you put those bits together, that God exists, that he cares about this world, that he might be angry with this world for the way we treat each other, and that the world will end. It doesn't seem so ridiculous after all, does it? And it doesn't seem so ridiculous given the way human beings have seen God act in the past. We mustn't forget that. Jesus will return. Well, that's all very well, Peter, we might say, but he's taken his time about it, hasn't it? Why isn't he back now? Look at verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I remember when I was a kid, might have even been around Christmas time, my brother Connor, who's 11 years older than me, was teaching me how to play cricket. And I had a fairly naive view of cricket that basically all the main skills could be learnt within a day each. So I'd set aside one day for batting, one day for bowling, and one day for fielding. And I thought that pretty much within these three days, with such a master craftsman of the game as my brother, to whom I looked up, I'd get all of it. So he said, what do you want to do today? And I said, well, I want you to teach me how to bat and do it all. And he said, well, I just, look, I just, I can't really do that. It'll take a lot longer than that. Now, suspicious little boy that I was, I thought, well, he's just holding out on me. He just doesn't want me to beat him. Bear in mind that I came up to about here on him and that that was never going to happen anytime soon. He said, no, no, this is a slow process. You know, this is going to take a while. But I didn't believe him. It was only until I was much older that I realised that my brother wasn't holding out on me. He wasn't being slow. He was being patient. He was taking his little brother and bearing with him and teaching him how to play the game of cricket. And there's something of that here. 
God's not just holding off on sending his son back to earth just for the hell of it. Quite the contrary. It's for our good. Because when Jesus comes back, that's it. There are no more chances. No, he's holding back on coming back because he's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What an irony that the very scoffers who accuse God of tardiness and doubt him because of it are the very ones he's holding out on so that if they choose him, they might be forgiven. What a wonderful God that is who would patiently wait for us like that. I don't know where you're at. I don't know everyone in this room. I don't know if you've ever really come to grips with Jesus or really turned, turned him over in your mind or not. But I want to tell you, it's not too late. You may think it totally implausible. Surely if Jesus were going to come back, he would have come back by now. But no, he's being patient. He's actually being patient for you. He's waiting for you. And if you want to be forgiven, you can do it right now. What a great motivator for us as Christians who certainly don't deserve any of this to know that that God is patient with us too. That as we come to this Christmas, we can say not just, where did the year go? But that was another year that God was patient with this world. This was another year when God was patient with me. How can I hold out the promise of God's patience to others? But he's not just asking us to remember things. Peter also wants us to respond to this. How are we to respond to the news that Jesus is indeed coming back? Well, how would you respond if you knew that the world was going to come to an end at some point? You don't know when, as it says in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. How would you respond? Well, I don't know if you remember the goodies. Um, I love the goodies. Uh, there was an episode where this very thing was happening. The world was going to end and Bill and the other two, who's Graham and Tim, were all locked in their bunker. I can see a few nodding heads. The nostalgia is really kicking in now. And they wanted to know, what am I going to do before the world ends? Well, Bill knew what he was going to do. He was going to do everything he hadn't been able to do yet. He had 17 minutes, according to the BBC report, until when the world was going to end. He was going to go out. He was going to kiss as many girls as he, was going to, as he could. He was going to learn to ride a skateboard. He was going to go into Wembley Stadium and kick a goal when no one was looking. He was going to drink as much as he possibly could, go to as many pubs as he could. It was going to be a good day. Well, a good 17 minutes. What would you do? What would Peter have us do? Since, verse 11, everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And again, verse 14, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. How do we deal with the fact that Jesus will one day return? Do we try and cram in as much 
hedonistic fun as we possibly can? Well, no. Not to say we can't enjoy life. No, we give all of our lives to God. And we give all of our lives to God because He will one day have them anyway. We're to give ourselves in wholehearted service to God. And that's Peter's encouragement to his readers. And that's us. So that's my encouragement to us here as well, and I I will and truly include myself in this. As I've been here over the past four years, and as Suze has, and as many of you have been here for various times, I have been struck uh, and thoroughly thrilled by what I have seen God doing in this church here, in the way that he has in so many people here increasingly grown them to give more and more of themselves over to God, to gradually get rid of the areas of their life which they just don't really want God having access to, which before they might have jealously guarded, but have increasingly handed over to make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. It's been great. And all I can say is all that Peter says and all that God says through Peter. Keep going. It is tough sometimes. We sit here and we suffer the knocks of life and we see the the stuff going on in the world and in our own lives and we think, God, why don't you come back? Why don't you come back now? And yet God says, because I'm patient. Because there are other people just like you who don't deserve my mercy but are going to get it. Can you hang in there, he says? Can you hang in there and with the strength that I'm going to give you? And while I'm at it, I'm going to make you look more and more and more like the person you are going to be when Jesus returns making every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. But of course, like any group of people, we all stumble. And in my four years here, I've seen other things as well. And I include that in myself. I've seen people and at times, or just times in people's lives when when this hasn't been the case. If there was one thing I could say, not as a parting shot, that'd be cheap, but as a parting spur on to church, is don't be part-timers. Don't be part-time Christians. Christians who, for them, God is a part of your life, an important part even, but a part that is less than the whole. You've got your job and you've got your family and you've got your friends and you've got your marriage and you've got your kids and you've got God. And that might mean church once a fortnight, once a month. That might mean Bible study once a fortnight, once a month. That might mean you can add to that. God isn't asking for that. God asks for all of you. I've seen it in my own life when I've taken my eyes off the ball, when I have made other things more important to myself than to wholehearted conformity to the likeness of Jesus Christ, when my college degree or my results 
or the opinion others have had of me has taken up an unacceptable portion of my life when it's become more important than what God thinks of me. You don't want that. You don't want that. Because one day, you'll look back and you'll say, where did the year go? Where did my 30s go? Where did my 40s or my 50s or my 60s or my 70s go? I lived all my life as a, as a part-time Christian. I know I'm saved. I, I trust in Jesus. And I know he's going to come. And you know what? You're right. But you never handed everything over. That would be so disappointing, wouldn't it? To come to the end of your life, the only one you own, and to think, I didn't make the most of it. I didn't hand everything over. It was part-time. And the house I invested in is gone. And the holidays I went on are over. And the friends who God gave me have now left. Why on earth would you sell yourself so short when there is so much here where you can give over all of your life to God? Because the best thing is when you give your life over to God, it means not losing it, but finding it all over again and the life as it really is meant to be. Don't get to the end of your life and say, where did it go? Say rather that you found it. And that you found it in the Lord Jesus Christ and his care for you and his patience for you and this world. That's enough from me. Let's pray. God, we would just simply hate to get to the end of our lives with anything less than an empty tank, knowing that we'd held back from you, knowing that we hadn't lived totally devoted lives to you and missed out on the joy of that, missed out of, on the joy of giving everything over to you. And so we pray, please help us surrender. Please help us to respond to the fact that you are coming back and that you will have all of us one way or the other. Please help us to do that willingly and to start doing that willingly now. Thank you for the, the people in this church uh, and their ongoing conformity to the likeness of your son. We pray please just keep chipping away at us. And please help us never to forget this oh so easily forgettable idea that life won't just keep chugging along. That one day something terrible and splendid will happen and that we will be a part of it whether we like it or not. Please help us to live in the light of that, constantly relying upon you as we do so. Amen.